Good morning. Happy good morning. Thanks for the coffee. You're welcome. And I learned a trick today. You did? If you need extra coffee, I bet you like, like everybody knows that I like my super sugary drink. So Heather and Frankie, this is for you because I know you like my random Sam recipes. If you <laughs> order at Starbucks a Trenta cold brew and then just go in and customize it and add all your syrups and all your yumminess and you can add cold foam and then you get a quadruple the size coffee. Wow. There you, there it's you go. It's huge. Look at it. It is pretty big. It's massive. Yeah. So. I don't like sweet coffee. I like sweet coffee. But then you can adjust your syrups. Yeah. And they just charge you for the syrups. Right. And then you get like as much coffee mm-hmm. or calories in your coffee in the morning as you're supposed to have for the entire for day. Sure. So <laughs> Sam tip of the day for you. That's funny. <clears throat> That's funny. So I'm, I don't know how I got on this, but I got into the conspiracy theory TikTok. Oh yeah. And I'm like, it's keeping me up at night. Like what? all the billionaires building bunkers and shit. Oh, I know. I'm I, like, I started a sourdough starter. I know. Which I'm like, you know, I've wanted to learn how to can for a hot freaking minute, mm-hmm. like a long, long time. And nobody knows how to do this shit anymore. Or if they do, they're not telling anybody. Yeah. Well, for Christmas, I got, um, from a friend of mine, I got a canner, but it's not just a regular canner. It's like a canner, fryer, steamer, combo, whatever thing. It's really fancy. Mm-hmm. It's really fancy. Anyway, so last week I canned for the first time and I canned carrots yeah. And like syrup, like chocolate syrup that you put on ice cream or whatever. And I'm so addicted to it. I love it so much. But I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm whatever. Anyway. And then all of a sudden, maybe because I was looking at canning recipes, then all the conspiracy shit freaking pops up on my TikTok. I'm like so paranoid now. I'm like, we need a bunker. We need firewood. <laughs> we need lanterns. I was watching... Uh, like sourdough starter TikToks because it's kind of intimidating to start a sourdough starter. Oh yeah, and it doesn't need to be. It's not that. It's not that deep. Um, but I learned that after like nine thousand TikToks. But then I was like googling like what you can do with discard and stuff like recipes, so I'm not just throwing crap away. And now I'm on like how to homestead from the comfort of your home. I know. And like I'm like oh well, okay. I so know. So apparently I have a homesteader now, guys. Well, I don't... I fall, I fall under the category, according to the ladies. Really? You just clean your house and bake bread. You're a homesteader. I think I think that I'm what you classify as a, quote, rogue canner, because I don't do it right. Yeah. I mean, my, my starter did not rise this I, morning, so... <laughs> I mean, there's classifications, I right? it's a little too cold in my house. It There's an art to all of it, and your it's like... house has to be between, like, 68 and 73 degrees for it to, like, grow... It's not dead. It's just not growing. Hmm. And I don't think my kitchen's 68 degrees. I can't help you. I, I don't like sourdough to begin with, so I don't, I don't know anything about that. Well, Nothing about it. I'm in deep. I'm in deep. <coughs> oh, bless oh. your little blood pumper. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, it's... So that's what's going on crazy. in our life. We're just like canning and fucking <laughs> making sourdough. I know, and being here. super paranoid about what the government is doing all of a sudden. I don't know. I know. Like, they always say that, but I'm like... Yeah, and we're going into, like, this really fun... um, It still is, like, not snowing here. We've gotten, like, some dusting. cold as fuck. It's a high of negative, like, 10 tomorrow. Yeah. It's so cold. The high is negative 10 tomorrow. Right. 
Yeah. It's like a low of like negative 25 or something. We've crazy. gotten really lucky though. Like for it to be the middle of January. I mean, this time last year we were buried under snow and mm -hmm. it was already negative 25. And remember it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. That you and I got stuck out at the land in negative 18 degrees yeah. for six hours stuck in snow. That did happen. That was a thing. And I just hit Wyoming so hit and miss. So if we don't get it early on, it's going to hit in the spring. It's going to come in the spring. Yeah. Which I mean, we're going to get snow. It's I mean, coming. it's coming, but, but I mean, two weeks ago it was 50, you yeah. know, I mean, whatever. The other thing that I'm doing that now I can tell everybody about, cause you don't talk about stuff when you're doing it, right? You talk about stuff after it's done is I have decided that I want a chicken farm, like yeah. a big chicken farm. And so I have, I have chickens and, but not very many. I only have I only had, <laughs> I only had 12 and they weren't quite all laying yet. So I was only getting like six, six eggs a day or something or three or four or whatever. Anyway. And <clears throat> so over the last like four or five months, I've been buying chickens and now I have like 50 and I've got like 75 more that are coming. But anyway, I got my first contract to sell chicken eggs. And you. so now all of my eggs Actually, I'm making money. Does everybody remember that I'm scared of chickens? Yeah. Yep. She is scared of chickens. But they're easy. They're fun. I love them. They don't try to kill me. They don't drag me across the fucking I don't land. Know. I tell my knees a different story because they do try to kill you. They just aren't successful. They're little dinosaurs. I feel like I need to get a rooster for the sole reason. I will literally <laughs> never come out to the land again. She literally just held her breath when I said that. <laughs> Literally I will never like, come out again. But ever. I feel like you can't say that you're a farm kid if you haven't been chased by a, like, lunatic rooster. I will never come out to the land again. Mark my <laughs> words. I won't get a rooster because then it screws up egg production and then yeah, you crack an egg and there's a, a baby, baby chicken in it. Yeah, Ugh. that ruins it. Ugh. Yeah. For sure. Gross. Okay. But anyway, so I feel like. Now I'm having a panic attack. It's I fine. feel like I'm doing good. You're doing good. I feel like it it's a, very, it, you get very minimal help from me. I'll yeah. help when they're like tiny. They're cute when they're tiny. Yeah, when I like helped you clean their butts. And and honestly, like when they're little is when you need help. When they're bigger, you just leave them the fuck alone. Yeah, you don't. You just leave them alone. Give them food. Give them fresh water. Give them space. Whatever, and you leave them alone. You don't yeah. walk around petting chickens. And Ugh. I mean, I do, but I don't. But for the most part, you just leave them alone. They're so low maintenance and they like need so very little space. But so I put them in my backyard mm -hmm. and where I'm going to build my garden next year, I have extended like their, their run, their outside space to that area. And they have done a great job of cultivating the land, like getting all the weeds out, getting all the leaves out. Like they have completely cleared the space. Yeah. You're like, you can move them around. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I mean, they eat literally everything and dig everything up and spiders gone like all of it like it's great i love chickens i love chickens i don't love chickens my next door neighbors have chickens and they like to come up on my deck and pick the paint off my deck so yeah and then i don't go outside because i'm like terrified and i will tell you i tried to push them into the neighbor's yard the other day and i had got a big stick and i was just kind of pushing the chicken it ran at me oh really it said get fucked lady i'm gonna eat the paint off your and i'm gonna dig holes in your front yard yeah. So, I don't like chickens. 
Um, and they don't stay where they're supposed to stay. My chickens do. My neighbor's chickens don't. Well, your neighbors are crazy. We have war with our chicken neighbors. Yeah, well, your neighbor is actually probably clinically insane. So, mm. and I hope she hears that. <laughs> You're fucking crazy and nobody likes you. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> God. Okay. Uh, that's all. That's all. <laughs> that, that's our vent for the minute. That's our vent. My neighbor sucks. <laughs> yes, for real. Okay, so um, episode three of 2024. And to, I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is a suspended sentence. I totally forgot what we were doing there for a second. I'm like, now Now we talked about your neighbor, so my adrenaline is up. No, and my seriously. blood pressure and my... I cannot stand that lady. I can't stand that lady either. Um... And we tried to be good neighbors. Let's just put that out there, okay? We tried. She's literally like, you know, have you ever had... I like her husband. Yeah. Well, it's not her husband. Well, the, the guy. They're not married. He's only with her because she has his kid. Everybody knows that. Well, I like him. He's nice. Um, Ish. But you know those people that you try to be nice to, you try to tolerate, you try to whatever, that are just shit starters about everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. In your business all the time, mm-hmm. calling the city, calling the police over every little thing while they do everything illegal next door. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's her. She digresses. Well, I feel like I need to justify because I just said nobody likes you. Everybody hates you. Why don't you go eat worms? Well, I'm a vile, disgusting, nasty neighbor. That's so. what she said. She's a bitch. Anyway, and I hope she hears that. I'm you're a, a fucking ray bitch. Of sunshine. I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> um, okay, moving on. <laughs> Today, we are going to do our, what is it, our... Trailer trade. Trailer swap. Tra- <laughs> it's three siblings walk into a bar today. Perfect. So ready? Let's do it. Have you ever wondered what it's like to hang out with three siblings in a bar? Three siblings that like to tell true crime and paranormal stories and are also hilarious? I'm Deshay, the oldest sibling. I'm Sage, the middle sibling. And I'm Storm, the youngest sibling. So come hang out with us every Monday for a new episode of Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar, available on wherever you listen to your podcast. That's funny. I love their names. Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar. Yeah, and Sage and uh, Storm. Like, I think they have cool names. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And it's a great podcast. Yeah, for sure. So check them out if you have it. Yeah, for sure. Quick little trailer today. Quick little trailer. All right. We can be found at Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Patreon. I forgot where all we were today. We're everywhere. Ooh, we're pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. <laughs> um, the Suspended Sentence Podcast. Our email address is the Suspended Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. You can buy Trey. Oh my God. It's going to be a rough episode, guys. Are it you guys is. ready? We I are. Need to drink that Trenta coffee more. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy's book, Anywhere That Books Are Sold. Today we're going to do Better World Books because I just got a shipment from them. Cool. Uh, IDP and the 13 Components to Criminal Thinking and Behavior. Perfect. Did I get it right? Boom. Boom. Boom, boom. It's a Sam episode. It's a Sam episode. And I have a brick of paperwork here. Nice. All right, let's get it. So in 1924, the short story The Most Dangerous Game by author Richard Connell recounts a tale of a wealthy Russian um, aristocrat who's bored with trapping animals and lures big game hunters to his island and hunts them for sport. Have you ever heard of this short story? No. So the whole, like, concept is this rich man just like, man, I am so tired of, like, killing animals. So he would 
get hunters to come out to his island to hunt, and then he would hunt the hunters. Oh, shit. And that was, like, his whole thing, because he was, like, this wealthy rich man that nobody cared about, right? And this is, like, something that has fascinated people, like, this concept of the wealthy being able to do whatever they want. Yeah. For years. So there's tons of movies. The movie Hostel, that's pretty much the premise of that, Mm -hmm. is wealthy people abducting Americans from hostels and doing whatever they want to them, including murder. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. (laughs) It's like a big, like, there's tons of movies, there's tons of books. It's like, people are captivated with that idea, right? Well, now I'm going to be obsessed with that idea. Why? Why am I going to be obsessed with that idea? Coral and I are going to Greece in a few months. Oh, my God. We haven't talked about that yet. (laughs) And we're staying in a hostel. (laughs) Oh, my God. They're going to... Coral is graduating from... I think we've said this before. She's graduating with her associates in psychology two weeks before she graduates from high school. She's worked her ass off for this. And for her senior trip, she has elected to go to Greece for three weeks and do charity work. So she's mm-hmm. going she's going to feed the hungry and work in hospitals and the psych centers and whatever. And um, I am terrified to send my little girl who has zero outside of Wyoming <laughs> experience <laughs> at mm-hmm. all. I'm terrified of sending her to a foreign country by herself to go and experience that. So Samantha, being the amazing big sister that she is, is going with her. Yeah, so I applied and I'm doing it too. So they're going together, but they are staying in a hostel. Yeah. Which scares the shit out of me. I don't recommend watching the movie Hostel though, because that movie fucking freaks me out. So I've been a little freaked out about that too. Oh my God. And the anxiety that mama has already for a trip that is seven months away is... You wouldn't, I'm, it's not even rational. <laughs> so great. So continue with so, your hostile killing of Americans. Um, that's all I was going to say about that. That's not that's, what this that's is enough. That's, that's enough. That's enough. Don't watch that movie. That movie <laughs> is terrifying. I think that might be the most scary movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, I've watched one, two, and three. So. Fantastic. Anyways, Anyways. So back to this. <laughs> so this is a concept that's captivated TV writers and authors for ever right there's tons i mean you can pull up tons of examples of this. i'm not going to <laughs> you could and this is all just like you know fiction for, until it's not oh great okay a person is more likely to be murdered in alaska than any other state according to the national crime information center statistics that um an article came out called titled the final frontier evil in alaska yeah which is kind of interesting. Well, like, I knew that. Little baby Alaska. Little baby Alaska. Little baby Alaska. Little baby Alaska, Alaska is freaking hard. But there's like not that many humans in there. There's enough. And they don't like. Well, you're really likely to be murdered, apparently. Yeah. Why do you think the population is so low? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Robert Hansen was no aristocratic man, nobleman. He was just a normal guy. He was born February 15th of 1939 in Esterville, Iowa, and was the oldest of two children to Edna and Chris Hansen. Robert was employed at his father's bakery, and the family um, then moved to Richmond, California in 1942. But he would uh, return to Iowa in 1949 and settle in Pocahontas, Iowa. I didn't even know that was a real place. It is. It is. In his youth, though, uh, Robert was painfully shy. He had a really bad stutter. 
and he suffered from severe acne that would leave his face permanently scarred. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was really, really insecure about that, and he got teased a lot by other kids for his stutter and his bad acne, and he was really scrawny, so he got teased for that a lot. <clears throat> um, anybody that knew him as a, as a child would describe him as really quiet and a loner who had a really difficult relationship with his really over-demeaning father. Robert also had a problem with girls who would mock him for being small and covered in acne. And so he didn't really like date. Yeah. You get the picture I'm painting here. Yeah. And again, we can feel bad for the child without feeling bad for the adult. Yeah. Because that sucks. That he does can't suck. control that he's like skinny and has acne. Right. But kids are assholes. Like kids are going to make fun of you mm-hmm. even if you're perfect. So. Yeah. So he took to. Which I guess you don't realize until you're older, but. Right. When you're in it, it's like your entire it sucks. life. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Robert really turned to hunting and archery as a refugee for as a pastime. Like that was like he liked going out into the woods and just shooting and yeah. which we get. We're from uh, Wyoming, absolutely. like we get that. Mm-hmm. And in 1957, he would enlist in the United States Army Reserve. He would serve for one year before he would be discharged. I could not figure out why he was discharged. So if anybody knows the answer to that that I couldn't find, I'm interested in a why he was discharged. He would later work as an assistant drill instructor for the police academy in his local hometown. And there he began a relationship with a younger woman who he would marry in the summer of 1960. That year, in December, he was apprehended by police for the first time after he set fire to the Pocahontas County Board for Education school bus garage. (laughs) Oh, shit. That's like... Yeah. That escalated very Uh quickly. Yeah. He just was like, I'm going to take revenge on all these people. I'm going to burn down the school board's bus garage. Oh, my God. And so God. he did. He was sentenced to 20 months for this. I would imagine that that wasn't the first thing that he did, though. Because that's, that's a pretty grand escalation there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, this isn't the first time that he didn't, like, be involved with it. With yeah, it never is. <laughs> Not if you're on our podcast. <laughs> So while he was in jail, his wife divorced him. I could not figure out what her name was either, just as a young woman. They were only married, like, a couple months because he sets fire to the school board garage. And then she's like, you're fucking crazy. Bye. And divorces him during that 20-month sentence. Eek. So, um, in the next few years, he would be incarcerated multiple times for petty theft. Um and sometimes in the sometime in the mid nineteen sixties, Hanson would get remarried for um, again. This woman's name was Darla. He and his wife decided to relocate to Anchorage, Alaska, in nineteen sixty seven. They would have two children together and were respected members of their community. But, um, and even Hanson, like he's still continuing like the hunting and stuff, and he took a lot of the local hunting records. Like he was very great at hunting. Mm-hmm. In December of 1971, though, Robert would be arrested twice. The first time for abducting and attempting to rape an unidentified housewife. See, that escalation escalated there, didn't it? Holy shit. And then raping an unidentified prostitute. He pled no contest to the assault with a deathly weapon because he held them at gunpoint when Mm -hmm. trying to rape them. Um, And the rape charge involving the prostitute was dropped as part of a plea deal. The shit pisses me off. You know how I feel about this. Yeah. It just pisses me off. Robert would be sentenced to five years in prison. But after serving six months of his sentence, he was placed in, in a work release program and released to a halfway house. But his troubles with the law would continue. 
1972, he was sentenced to six months in prison for assault. And in 1960, uh, 1976, he was given a five-year sentence after attempting to steal a chainsaw from a department store. So I found the legal records from this, and I think it's interesting what his response to the chainsaw, like his reasoning behind this. Because yeah. there is like, we do get psychiatric reports for this, so I'm interested to see like your side on this here. Robert says, I looked at them, the chainsaws, and remembered about five weeks previous, my father had been cutting wood for our fireplace and remarking three or four times about how much he would like to have one. My folks live in Oregon, and I was visiting, they were visiting us for about four weeks to use when he and my mother could go camping along the coast. I told my father that he would be more than welcome to take mine, but he refused. I thought of all of, uh, all of this and the presents that my parents had given me throughout the years, and I thought, how wonderful would it be to give him a saw for Christmas? I also thought, of course, that my wife and I had just bought this, this one a summer ago, and I had been saving for more than nine years to buy a house. I guess many thoughts went through my head as I looked at the saw. I wanted almost more than anything to please my father, and I could just imagine the expression on his face on Christmas Day when I got him a brand new one. If I could give him that saw. So I walked into the store and stopped around and looked around the door. Outside, a native man had just had a heart attack, so the police were kind of distracted. There was paramedics and everybody there giving him treatment. My father is 69, and he's had a heart attack. He's very overweight. And again, I thought that chainsaw and how pleased he'd be for me to give it to him for Christmas. I walked back into the store, looked at the saws again, and thought there was a young man watching me, but he just seemed to disappear. On one box I picked up, there was a sales receipt. So I saw my opportunity. I guess then it was when I was really serious thought about taking that saw. It seemed like nobody would even know if I paid for it or not. And they would think when I opened the box that there's a sales receipt. He bought it. So I took it and I walked out the door and right then I was apprehended and arrested. I know what I did was wrong. I'm sorry for doing so. <laughs> what is your account of that? A, his like language is like how he talks is kind of funny to me. Right. Which I know he has like a stutter, but. I think that it's probably a pretty normal response for somebody who is trying to get out of getting in trouble. You're right. Like mm -hmm. appeal to people's emotions, appeal to people's, um, <clears throat> oh, well, you were doing it for your dad. Well, wrong is wrong. Period. End of discussion. Right. It doesn't matter if you were stealing his chainsaw to give it to a unhoused person so that they can keep an entire community or population warm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Wrong is wrong. If it's that important to you, get a second job and pay for it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that is literally like the, the initial response justification for actions of almost all people who commit crimes. Okay. It's completely, it's completely normal. Think about, I mean, put it into perspective that you can understand. Think of the last thing that you did that was maybe not completely honest you find a way to justify it yeah, in your head. Rationalize it. Right. To make it okay. To make the behavior okay. I mean, like, I mean, anything. Like, even buying coffee, justifying spending $9 on a cup of coffee yeah. at Starbucks every day. Like, you find a way to justify the things that you know are just absolutely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But you do it and you find a way to justify it. Coral does this. 
Coral, I thought you were saving money. So you're, you know, whatever for Greece or for she's whatever. And she'll be like, well, I've worked really, really hard this week. So it's my treat. I deserve it. The answer <laughs> is yes, she does. She has worked yeah. really hard. It is her money. She can do whatever she wants with it. That's the truth, right? But, but when you do something that's illegal and try and justify it that way, that's when you cross a line. Right. No, I get that. Well, so Hanson was 37 at the time of this conversation. Yeah. He, so during the court for all this, he's been in a lot of legal trouble the last few years, right? The attempting and raping people. Right. He's stealing. He's, I mean, he's right. acting up. So he was ordered to seek psychiatric treatment. Right. Because his antisocial freaking markers are like. Yeah. So after the, after these charges were filed against Hansen, a court ordered psychiatric report was submitted by Dr. J. J. Ray Lingadon. And I did put this in here because I thought you'd think it was interesting. And maybe everybody else will too. But <clears throat> this was dated February 28th of 1972. Dr. Langton stated Hansen suffered from disassociative mental illness and suggested that Hansen's criminal activity stemmed from this illness. Dr. Langdon indicated that Hansen's type of disorder was difficult to treat successfully. But subsequent letter from Dr. Alan H. Parker, is it normal for two psychiatrics to overlook something like this? Yeah. That's a normal thing? I didn't know. Was filed eight months later, and that indicated that Hansen had made significant improvement through hair, um, therapy and warranted a release on parole. So one is saying it's really hard to treat this. The other one's like, he's doing great. He deserves parole. Disassociative? <clears throat> what? Yeah. Oh, Wow. Although the current offenses in Hansen was not Hansen's first theft, he informed the examining psychiatrist that he had an episodic, uh, episodic stealing problem. In 1976, Dr. Parker wrote a second evaluation letter in which he characterizes Hansen's stealing as, quote, probably obsessive. Yeah. Because Hansen has, quote, an inability to resist it and a feeling of being forced. Hansen then began therapy with Dr. Robert McCammon, who diagnosed Hansen's illness as bipolar affective disorder, which is a variant of manic depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. And Dr. McMonnen testified at um, Hansen's sense sentencing hearing as distinguished and distinguished Hansen's disorder from the classic manic depressive episode by the episode by the absence of any serious depressive episodes. So he's like, sometimes he's just manic and sometimes he's not. Right, which is a characteristic of bipolar. Also keep in mind, it's 1972. Right. Disassociative, like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not diagnosing him. I'm not a doctor. I'm not whatever. But I don't think that that, I don't think that, that fits. What was his trauma? What is the reaction due to? I don't know. But then this is, I thought this was interesting. <laughs> he said that during the manic episodes... That he was just, uh, so he was having abnormal preoccupation or mania, mm -hmm. which then was leading to kleptomania. It was manifesting in the need to steal, which I think is like, I've never heard of that unless I'm like, is that a thing that can happen? Is your mania, mania just develops into, well, do you like hyper focus on something or? Well, I mean, it could. The fact that, like, everything that he's done thus far is, I mean, opposites. Like, so freaking out there. So he lights fire, which, I mean, that that's significant. Right. Lighting fire to an entire structure 
and then raping people, rape, trying to rape people with a gun and then stealing, like there's more, there's, there's gotta be like way more that he just didn't get caught to. See, I would, I would go to the antisocial thinking mm -hmm. because the way that he justified it, the way that he thought it through just in his answer, the receipt was there. They would think that I, you, you know, like right. his, his follow through and the thought process was more criminal thinking than it was impulsive where manic episodes, you don't think about what you're doing. You just fucking do it. You're manic. You're blah, you're everywhere. You're mm -hmm. all over the place. It's extreme highs, extreme lows. I think he probably, I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about him, but I would say that it's more the antisocial thinking than anything else than anything else. Mm. Yeah. This dude, like he thinks this shit through. Yeah. I mean, how did he get, I mean, even going back to the fire, how did he get access to that and was able to do that in a way that, that he could even do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like he knows damn well what he's doing. People who are manic do not know what they're doing. It's manic. I agree. But then, so in 1971, Dr. Parker wrote th again that it would be difficult to treat these illnesses. Yes. Um, but the drug lithium, which we've talked about in oh, previous episodes, God. had since become an acceptable treatment. So in the 70s, apparently mm -hmm. that's when they were like, lithium fixes it all <laughs> um, for controlling manic episodes. So lithium, um, like we said, you hate you hate lithium. I hate, you hate lithium. lithium. Yep. We've talked about this in other episodes. But Dr. McCayman stated that the complete with complete assurance that Hansen's future behavior was impossible because he was reacting so well to the lithium. Impossible. 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 He is cured. Yeah. And that is absolutely like 1970 freaking forethought, right? Have you ever known anybody that takes lithium? Anybody that's ever talked about it? I think we've talked about like somebody. But have you, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's taken lithium? Lithium, I hate it. I, they still prescribe it today, not as often, but um, <clears throat> it's horrific. The brain fog, the zombifying, like it makes people feel just completely like not themselves. Yeah. So that's, I hate that drug. Yeah. Well, so let's remember at the beginning of this, he had been sentenced to five years for these crimes. Right. But then he was ordered to all this treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a couple of years later. He's got all these treatments done. All of these letters are sent to the judge, and he gets time served. Impossible for him to reoffend. Yeah, it's, impossible. It's, it's impossible. That's a quote from this doctor. Yeah, impossible. Impossible. And that he he also said that it was preferable that Hansen remain an active member of society because his prognosis was favorable. Oh my God! So impossible. Impossible. As long as he continues to take the drug, as long as he continues treatment, right. as long as he, you know, there's a lot of variables in that impossibility. Correct. So Darla, his wife, remember she's around. She stood beside Robert through all of this legal trouble. The rapes, the stealing, she stood by him. Darla was deeply religious mm -hmm. and she also thought she could help him. So getting Robert to attend church would guide him to the, the path of righteousness. She yeah. was like, I can save him. And after each arrest, he would go to church after that, right? He'd be the perfect husband and go to church and get his act together after getting out of jail. 
But Robert also said his church was the Alaska wilderness. He didn't feel... Sure. Right? So he's like, this is... he. D- it would fall off fairly quickly. Of right. Being this great, amazing husband. So while in Alaska, the couple opened a bakery. Because remember, his dad was a baker. Mm-hmm. He opens a bakery. And it wasn't too surprising that after many years of Robert being in and out of jail and raping people and <laughs> all of this, that Dar- uh, Darla and him decide to live separate lives. They don't get divorced, but they're like, I'm going to get my own place. Do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. Oof. Okay. Darla had her own income source from tutoring, um, from doing tutoring with disabled children in Anchorage. And she paid for the, um, for her house expenses and she took care of their two children. Two children. In summer vacations, she would take her and the kids to Arkansas, where she had family, and Robert would stay behind to mind the bakery. The money from the bakery, Darla, I was trying to combine the word bakery and Darla, um, said was Robert's money, so that she didn't get any money from the bakery. She kept her money, he kept the bakery money, that was his money to live off of, she had her money to live off of. But she helped at the bakery? No, not anymore. Oh, okay. They start living separate lives. Okay. And she said that they did not mingle any of their funds at that point. So in Anchorage, Robert, again, was a respected business owner. Um, he was known as his skills as a bow hunter. And the den of, their, of his home was decorated with hunting trophies and animals mounted all over the walls. And he had started setting some bow hunting records. Mm-hmm. So typical what you'd expect. Yeah. You know. Their stereotype of what an Alaskan home looks like is Robert Hansen's home. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay. But no one knew for more than a decade that Robert had been collecting other trophies. <gasps> Hansen would mainly... Bowling trophies? Hmm? Bowling trophies? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Hansen mainly was targeting sex workers and exotic dancers from around Anchorage. He would kidnap the women and either drive or fly them because he had his own private bush plane. Out to his cabin in remote Alaskan um, wilderness. If the women didn't put up a fight as he would try to rape them, he would take them back to town and threaten them into secrecy. But those who didn't cooperate would suffer a true nightmare. Out in the wilderness, his favorite location along Kit River, Robert Hansen would set the women free after brutally raping them. For a second, these women would think that they had a chance to escape. But then as they ran for their lives, he would track them down, taking his time, hunting them like wild animals. Oh, my God. Armed with a hunting knife and a two twenty three caliber Ruger Mini-14 rifle, he would torture the women with chasing them for hours, sometimes days, until he would locate them and shoot them like game. Oh, my God. Robert is believed to have been begun killing around 1972, right after he was said that it was impossible it's for him impossible. to kill. It's impossible. No, this is impossible for him to do. Yeah, it is believed by authorities that Robert's first murder victim was 18-year-old Celia Van Zeten. She was kidnapped December 22nd of 1971, and she would freeze to death in the wilderness after escaping her abductor. Oh, my God. Her body was discovered on December 25th, Christmas. And the abduction occurred three days after Robert committed his assault of the prostitute for which he was imprisoned for. Oh, my God. There was many similarities between Robert's motives and Celia's abduction, but there was no compulsive evidence leaking him to the attack, and he denied the involvement. So I do want to talk about the victims that we know about, because I want to 
yeah their stories are important so the next couple minutes are going to be kind of rough but just stick with me here we're going to start off on kind of a heart high note because <laughs> she this one lives i'll tell you right now she lives okay good june 13th 1983 uh robert offers 17 year old cindy paulson 200 dollars to perform oral sex when she gets into the car he pulls out a gun and drives her to his home in muldoon there he held her um held out a, held her captive and proceeded to rape and torture her she later told police that robert chained her by the neck and po to a post in his basement he took a nap on the couch nearby when he awoke he put her in the car and took her to merrill field airport where he told her he was intended to intending to quote take her out to his cabin also known as a shack next to knit river along the i'm going to say this wrong manatiki sukana valley river which is only accessible by boat or bush plane. Paulson crouched in the backseat of his car with her wrists cuffed to the front of her body. She saw a chance to escape when Hansen was busy loading the cockpit of the airplane, a Piper PA-18 Super Cub. When Hansen's back was turned, Paulson crawled out of the backseat, opened the driver's door, and ran as fast as she could towards 6th Avenue. Paulson later told police that she had left her blue sneakers on the passenger seat floor of the sedan's back seat as evidence that she had been there. She's smart. Yeah. That's so smart. Hanson panicked and chased after her. But Paulson reached 6th Avenue and managed to flag down a passing truck. truck. And the driver, Robert Ument, alarmed, um, alarmed by Paulson's very disheveled appearance, stopped and picked her up. I'm so glad he did that because we hear so many times of people being like, no no i didn't pick them up yeah he drove her to the mush inn where she jumped out of the truck and ran inside where she pled with the clerk um, to phone her boyfriend at the big timber motel uh yote continued to um, on to work where he called police to report the incident when anchorage police department officers arrived at the mush inn they told they were told by paulson to take that they had taken a cab to the big timber to take a cab to big timber hotel Officers arrived there and found Paulson in room 110, where she was still handcuffed and completely alone. She was taken to the police headquarters, where she described her um, attacker, Robert. And then when it questioned by, when Robert was questioned by the police, he denied all of it. We, I mean, of course yeah. he did. Um, stating that she was just trying to cause problems with him because he wouldn't pay her the extortion demands for the sexual acts that she had given. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Although um, he had several prior run-ins with the law, Robert's um, meek demeanor and humble occupation as a baker, along with his alibi from a friend, John Herring, kept him um, from being considered a serious suspect. Jesus Christ. Detective Glenn Fulth of the Alaskan State Troopers had been part of the team investigating the discovery of several bodies around the area of Anchorage. Um, and they were kind of keeping an eye on him. They were kind of looking at Robert, but, like, not really. Because they're like, he's just, like, a nice baker boy, right? And it's impossible for him to do this. He's had right. two psyche valves. Right. It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, Detective Fulth contacted the FBI because he was, like, stumped. He's like, we're finding women's bodies, but, like, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So he calls the FBI and asks for some assistance. Special Agent John Douglas... Um, came and did a profile based on the situation. These profiles are so interesting to me. Like, how do you guys figure this out? Right. Douglas thought the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, 
would be compelled to keep souvenirs of his murders, most likely jewelry. He also suggested that um, the assailant probably had a stutter. Mm-hmm. Using this profile, they in- started investigating people around town. And then they reached Robert Hansen, who fit the description and owned a private plane. Right. That's wild, because that's spot on for Robert Hansen. Right. Like, yeah. I think those profiles are so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you know that he has a stutter based on the bodies of victims? Right. Well, they don't just take the bodies of the victims. They take, well, no, because he wasn't linked to that one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, supported by Paulson's testimony and Douglas's profile, they finally had enough to get a search warrant for Robert Hansen's house. Because they were like, you fit the profile. Okay, now she's saying that this is who did it. Right. We have enough. So, they get a search warrant for his plane, his vehicles, and his home. On October 27th of 1983, investigators uncovered jewelry belonging to some of the missing women um, around town. As well as an array of firearms in the corner of a hideaway in his attic, which included a 223 caliber Ruger Mini 14 semi automatic rifle. Also found was a chart with 37 little X marks on it. The map. Oh shit. Hidden behind his headboard. Many of these marks matched sites where bodies had already been found by police, and it was later discovered that these locations marked. Hansen's murder map. He made a murder map. Mm-hmm. When confronted with the evidence found in his home, Hansen denied it as long as he could, but he eventually began to blame the women to try and justify his actions. Sure. Eventually confessing to each item of evidence that was presented to him, he admitted to a spree of attacks along against Alaskan women starting in 1971. Hansen's earliest victims uh, were girls or young women, usually between the ages of 16 and 19. And then it just, whoever he felt at that point. So here's where I kind of want to go in. We talked about Celia. She's thought to be the first victim. She was then 18 years old and was at home with her um, two of her three brothers on December 22nd, 1971. The three of them shared a house on Kennet Avenue in South Anchorage, close to the Northern Light Boulevard. With their other brothers and cousin, um, her parents resided in a different home in Anchorage. That In late evening... She also went by Beth, Cecilia did. Um, Beth left her house and walked a few blocks nearby to the BILO supermarket, which closed at 9 p.m. She left at 8.30, and between 8.45 and 9 p.m., a witness saw Beth um, get into a car, and then she wasn't seen until she was found. Um, He was accused, Hanson was accused of killing her, but he denied it until... They found her body at one of the X marks. Yeah. So, this one was abnormal for him because she wasn't a prostitute. She wasn't involved in sex work. She was just an 18-year-old girl going to the supermarket. And he won't tell why she got in the car with him. Hmm. So, next would be Megan Emmerich. Then 17 would vanish on just July 7th of 1973 in Seaward, Alaska. She was last spotted leaving a dorm laundry room while attending boarding school at the Skiwald Skill Center. She had not been seen or heard from since then, and Megan left behind all of her personal um, items, including her identification cards. 
Before contacting police, her roommate conducted a three-day search for her because she's like, yeah, you know. Robert denied killing her to authorities, but he did admit it um, when, um, due to an X on, on his map, they found her body. Ugh. So then he admitted it. Hanson admitted to a former inmate that he had transported Megan to the cabin on his, um, by his by his boat, where then he killed and buried her. July fifth, nineteen seventy-five, Mary Teal, age twenty-two, disappears from Seaward, Alaska. Her husband was away working at the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline when she, um, where she lived on Lower Point Road. She was driven into town by a friend who dropped her off at the local bakery between 1.30 and 2 p.m. A different acquaintance saw her go by waterfall on Lower, Lower Point Road. She had not been seen or heard of since. Hansen acknowledged being in Seaward that day that, um, that Mary had vanished, but denied killing her. But the X on his map... Right. Led to them finding her body. He then admitted to killing her and discarding her body in Recreation Bay, according to a formal prisoner. So he just was talking to all the prisoners about yeah, where he was dumping people. And then it was matching up with the map. The remains of Eukalena Annie, which is a Jane Doe. Yeah. Okay. Was discovered buried next to a power line in a wooded area one mile south of Eukalika Lake in Anchorage. Alaska on July 21st, 1980. Um, Robert would admit to stabbing her in the back after she made an effort to flee from his car. She was a neither topless dancer or a sex worker, according to Robert, who had claimed that he, um, that she was actually his first murder victim because he doesn't want to be claimed for right. the, one, the 10 years before this. Right. Um, her body has had been largely consumed by wildlife by the time so they were found, and she was in a shallow grave near Eukalika Lake Road. To this day, we don't know who she is. Oh, I hate that. I do too. 21-year-old Joanna um, Messina went out to dinner with Robert Hansen on May 19th, 1980, while she was working in Seaward, Alaska, before she offered him sex in exchange for cash. Robert claimed that everything was going really smoothly, and then, re- and then Robert refused to pay and refused to release her. So, he drove her and her dog a distance um, to a different place by Snow River. He hit her with a twenty-two caliber revolver before shooting her twice and her dog once. Jesus Christ. Yep. He brought her to a gravel pit nearby, dumped her body, and the dog um, and the belongings were thrown into the woods. She was found in, um, July 8th, 1980 severely decomposed and the wildlife had gotten to her yeah i mean alaska i mean is a perfect place to do this there's tons of animals right so sad july 28th 1980 roseanne eastland 24 year old vanished she had been residing at budget motel in anchorage alaska with her boyfriend um, for the previous two weeks on that day she was scheduled to meet an unnamed man downtown on fourth avenue she had not seen or heard of since, had not been seen or heard of since. Although Robert admitted to killing her, her body would never be discovered. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're almost, we're almost through, I promise. Lisa Fertnell um, was kidnapped by Robert on September 6, 1980. She was 41 years old and failed to return home on September 7th. Her body was discovered May 9th um, at the gravel pit. Jesus. 
Sherry Moreau, 23-year-old topless dancer, told friends she was meeting a photographer who had promised her $300 to take nude images of her on September 7th, or November 17th. But she never came home. A shallow grave was discovered by hunters on the banks of the Knit River, which borders on Anchorage. September 12th, 1982, Moreau is reported missing um, the year earlier. They were able to identify her remains. It took a year, though. Yeah. Like, it took a long time for any of these people to... Figure out who they figure are. Figure out who they were. Right. So there's <clears throat> a lot more. Yeah. A lot more. Um, one of them, though, was another Jane Doe that we didn't know who she was for a long time. A long time. A long time. Yeah. Um, by the time that Darla decided to leave Anchorage in the aftermath of finding all of this out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all this media comes out that there's like 30 women that have been raped, murdered, and hunted by your husband. She's like, oh shit. I'm getting the fuck out of Alaska. And taking my kids with yeah. me. Right. Like I said, at this point, they were completely living separate lives. I mean, he was just seeing the kids, but right. they're pretty much divorced before this. But... She told, um, she decided to divorce Robert. Um, the house was hers, free and clear. It was completely paid off. But she told her, and she said that her neighbors wanted her to stay in Anchorage, but she couldn't see how she could raise her kids there with all this out there. Yeah, no. After all that had been revealed about their father, she just was like, I can't do this. She said there was an eerie feeling as she went through the house. The stuffed animals that, um, that were in, the stuffed animals that were on the wall, yeah. She said that she just, it was an eerie feeling knowing these women had been there, yeah. right? In all of her years um, of wandering the Midwest with Robert before they moved to Alaska, she managed to get a master's degree in education. But she said that Robert was her blind spot. She said um, that Christianity had kept her going back to him for all those years, even though it wasn't. She shouldn't have. And she right. was like, and then I had the kids and it was staying for my kids' sakes. Mm-hmm. And she just, she just said that he was just her, her blind spot. Right. Which is like sad to think about. But once arrested, Robert um, was charged with the assaults, kidnapping and multiple weapons offenses, theft, as well as insurance fraud. Insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. The last charge was related, related to a claim filed with the insurance company over the alleged theft of some trophies. Mm -hmm. he used so he's not making all these records he's a compulsive liar this man nothing about this man's life is true Mm -hmm. at all right okay um so he had insured those and then been like oh they were stolen how did he get insurance on them without providing them with evidence that he had them a picture or I don't know, isn't it? It's like the 80s, I guess, but. That's interesting. Uh, well, I mean, I guess. My land is insured and my insurance agent has never freaking been out there. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And he doesn't have pictures or anything, <laughs> so. It's wild. So Robert would enter into a plea bargain. No, you're not, oh you're my not God, gonna again. Yeah. After ballistics re- tests returned and matched the bullets between all of these crime scenes, right? Yeah. So. He pled guilty to four homicides, even though he's confessed to 30. Right. He pleads guilty to four. 
he pled guilty um, for Monroe, Mesna, Golding, and then Jane Doe, known as Elkadina Annie, mm-hmm. um, and provided details on other victims in return to serving his sentence in a federal prison, along with no publicity in the pl- no publicity on this in the press. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Another condition of his plea bargain was um, his participation in explaining the map and who was there, mm-hmm. right? So Robert confirmed um, the police's theory on how the women were abducting, abducted, adding that he would sometimes let a potential victim go if she convinced him that he wasn't that they weren't going to convince. Oh my gosh, report him to the police. He also indicated that he did begin killing not in the eighties; it was like the late sixties. Jesus Christ! Right. Hansen showed investigators seventeen grave sites in and around Central Alaska. 12 of which were unknown to investigators that weren't on his map. Oh. There remained um, marks that he, to this day, there are marks on his map that he refused to ever explain or tell who they were. Hmm. Including three in Resurrection Bay near Seaward. Authorities suspect these two marks um, were the graves of Mary Till and Megan Emmerich, who Robert is still denying that he killed them. The remains of 12 of the probable 21 to 37 victims that were exhumed by police were finally returned to their families. Faced with the evidence in 1984, Hansen confessed to murdering 17 women and raping another 30 over a 12-year-old period. Jesus Christ. As part of a plea deal, the butcher baker, which the media dubbed him, was only ever charged of four of the 17 that the police could prove. Because that was a plea deal. Yep. In exchange for a reduced conviction, Robert Hansen agreed to assist police in locating those other bodies. But unfortunately, five of those bodies have never have not been found to this day. Yeah. It could be because he's not yeah. talking. It could be because of animals dragging right. him off. It so could I was be just from. Say, yeah. I mean, Hansen would be sentenced to 461 years without the possibility of parole. Good. Mm-hmm. He was first imprisoned at the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, in 1988. But then he would be returned to Alaska and briefly incarcerated at the Lemon Creek Correctional Center in... I always say this town wrong. John. Um, uh, Juno. Juno? Is it Juno? I think so. He was also imprisoned at Spring Creek Corrections in Seaward until May of 2014. Then he was transported to the Anchorage Correctional Complex for health reasons. Hansen would die August 21st, 2014, at age 75, at the Alaskan, Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage due to natural causes from lingering health conditions. Mm, that's unfortunate. October 22nd, 2021. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that he died of natural causes and not something horrible. Yeah. One of those Jane Doe's was, they come up with like such weird nicknames for like Jane Doe's, like the Horseshoe Harriet. Yeah. Um. But October 22nd of 2021, Alaska Bureau of Investigation's Cold Case Investigation Unit launched another attempt to identify the remains of um, one of Robert Hansen's victims, young woman who had been identified as Horseshoe Harriet for the last 37 years. August 21, or August of 2021, a new DNA profile for the victim was generated and uploaded into a public aspects genealogy base. Mm-hmm. I added this because I think this is like so interesting, interesting that they do. Yeah. 
Utilizing several close matches, a family tree for the victim was constructed. Genealogy research by Pardon Labs and ABI indicated the victim may be a woman named Robin, Robin Pileski. Pileski was born in 1963 in Colorado. An additional research identified a new potential relatives for Robin that currently resided in Alaska and Arkansas. Oh. Records indicated she had been living in Anchorage in the early 1980s when Robert was active in his murdering. And Robin would have been 19 at the time of the murder, and no record was ever found of being her being reported missing. But nobody knows where she is for the last 37 years, but nobody ever reported her missing. Holy shit. Um, Perhaps, though, like, being the early 80s, there weren't cell phones and stuff, and when people went off to work, like, it wasn't super common to talk to people as much as you do now. So maybe, but after yeah, that much but time, seven years, you'd think maybe she was estranged from her family or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so then the ABI contacted the Alaska or the Arkansas State Police because you know she had family ties there. Yeah, and they re- and they requested their assistance. Um, they contacted some very close relatives of Robin's and obtained a D- DNA sample from them, and the sample was sent to the state of Alaska Scientific Crime Detention Laboratory in Anchorage. The kinship DNA analysis completed on, in September of 2021 confirmed that Horseshoe Harriet was Robin. Mm. Um, this is a quote from, <clears throat> from one of the investigators. It says, I would like to thank all of the troopers, investigators, and analysts who have worked diligently over this case over the last 37 years. Without their hard work and tenancy, the identity of um, Robin would never have been known, said Alaskan Department of Public Safety Commissioner James Car- Cockrell. Then he says, the Alaska Department of Public Safety will leave no stone unturned in all of our efforts to solve major crimes in our state, holding anyone that violates our laws accountable and being, bringing closure to these victims' families. Because there are some other Jane Doe's. Yeah. To this yeah. day, there are Jane Doe's. And he's like, we're not going to stop. Good. The surviving next of kin of Robin was requested, has requested that they not be contacted because this is as they come to grips with the fact that yeah. this is her. Department of Public Safety has purchased a new grave marker because she was buried in in an unmarked grave, right? They purchased a new grave marker identifying the final resting place for Robin Pileski at the Anchorage Memorial Park Cemetery. Um, I do want to end this with an article from the Anchorage Daily News um, that came out after Robert died. Okay. So this is just the article, okay? So I'm just going to read you the article. Infamous Alaskan serial killer Robert Hansen died Thursday morning at an Anchorage hospital, according to Department of Corrections. Hansen died around 1.30 a.m. at Alaska Regional Hospital. Sherry Daigle, Deputy Director of Administration Services for the um, Department of Corrections, said that he had been transferred to the hospital on Wednesday. Cause of de- death will, not be deter- will be determined by a medical examiner, but appears he died from natural causes. Um... He has been um, in declining health over the last pu- um, past year, according to the press release. And then I quote, On this day, we should only rec- remember his victims, his many victims, and all of the families um, of those victims. My heart goes out to them, wrote Glenn Froth, retired Alaska State Trooper, who was instrumental in Hansen's case. As for Hansen, as far as Hansen is concerned, the world is a better place without him, he said. Oof. It is a sad day for me. It's a sad day for their families because yep. he's not serving the rest of their sentence. But the world is better without him. 
Hansen had been moved to Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward um, to Anchorage Correctional Complex on May 11th. Alaska Dispatch reported at the time um, that Hansen, 75, had been placed in a magic medical segregation in Anchorage, um, which, because apparently only the Anchorage police has medical treatment on site. The other jails do not have oh. any medical, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. So he had to be transferred there because he was having medical issues. Um, Anchorage Jail, like I said, is the only one with a medical unit. Frank Rothschild, the assistant direct um, district attorney who worked this case, said he will not be missed. <laughs> missed. Good riddance with him. He is one of those kinds of guys that you hope with every breath that he takes, he is in some sort of pain associated with it. He caused such pain to so many people. Rothsberg recounted watching Hansen transform into, quote, the monster that he was. The day the prosecutor sat down with Hansen and he laid out the evidence that, was, that he had against him. They told Hansen they had that he had his map with 17 locations that he believed indicated bodies. This is a quote from him as well. He was mild-mannered Bob the Baker, as we all knew him. And as I was looking at him, with all the evidence sitting in front of him, all of a sudden he transformed. The hair on the back of his neck quite literally stood up. His neck got bright red. He was pissed. I can still see him just sitting there livid like that, Rothberg said. Hansen asked to speak with his attorneys and went to another room, and you could hear him screaming at his lawyers. Rothbard said that he had worked as district attorney in Anchorage for only three years by the time that he was trying this case. His wife at the time had asked um, that they go on some sort of traveling vacation, and he said, when Hansen's case was over, I was ready to leave. Yeah. (laughs) Rothbard said it was so heavy to see what the human being was capable of doing. Bob the Baker. Mild-tempered Bob the Baker. Oof. Hansen did, um, didn't see his victims as human, Rosberg said. In his mind, there was good girls and there was bad girls. These were, for his purposes, bad girls. During much of the time at Spring Creek, Hansen worked as a barber. I would not let this man cut my no, hair. No, hell no. Um, Give that man a pair of scissors. But Yeah, but he had not held a job in the facility for many years. He had several cellmates during his decades at the facility, and he was a well-behaved and considered to be a low-maintenance prisoner. And that's the end of the article. Yeah, because he's in a facility with a bunch of men who could kick his fucking ass. I'm so interested to hear what you think about this. I have so much to say. (coughs) One, it would be super interesting to know what his relationship was with his mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or how he was raised. Um, because clearly he had a hatred for women. Two, was I fucking right about the antisocial? Yeah. <laughs> they had him diagnosed wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Impossible for him to do this, right? Third, this is what I find interesting. And a lot of people ask this question. And, and there's a lot of theory out there that, I mean, women do this, right? If you If you are like attracted to people who are, who are murderers or whatever, you know, we did this in our hybristophilia um, podcast where we covered people that are infatuated with, with serial killers and people that commit crimes, right? Thinking, well, they won't do it to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So his wife, right? Like she didn't have any stories like this. He wasn't raping her. He wasn't, you know, beating her. He wasn't allegedly, we don't, we don't know. I mean, but that was never reported. Right. He allowed her to leave and have separate lives, blah, 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 blah. But this is what that is. 
it isn't love, it isn't loyalty, it isn't anything like that. It is antisocial in order to keep the facade up of being normal. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. It's not real. To the world, and especially like this antisocial thinking, right? This antisocial personality, this antisocial behavior, this criminal behavior, antisocial, i.e. criminal thinking behavior, whatever. You have to, just like in the very, very beginning when he said, well, the sales receipt was there so everybody would think that I had bought it. Yeah. He has a wife. He has a business. He has two kids. He has, you know, whatever, all the stuff. He was a respected member of society. That's what he needed people to think in order for him to do the things that he was doing. Right. He had to have people think that he was a good guy. Right. And it worked. His sentences were always reduced. Absolutely. Every time. And he got away with it for all of these years. Like nobody looked at him. Nobody, nobody, anything. Right. But it's not real. It's a facade. She, Darla, was that her name? Yeah. She was a pawn in his game. Yeah. And here's the other thing about, about rape and, and bondage and all of that shit, bro. There's a million girls out there that will freaking do that with you. You don't need to take innocent. The other interesting thing is, is his victim age, like none of them had any rhyme or reason. No, it was just it was, they, their profession. He was like, but I but think not that always, he most, but not always. Most of, them. most of them, but not always. Some of them were 17. Some of them were 41. Right. I do think that's like, and we've talked about this before in um, Willie Picton. People don't look at sex workers right yeah yeah robin was missing for 37 years right well and even the the one that survived mm-hmm. that went to police like well you willingly got in the vehicle right your shoes were there because you were giving he was giving you 200 bucks for oral sex mm-hmm. you know is it real or is it not well, you know he's saying you're mad because you are trying to extort him for more money Right, and you willingly got in his vehicle. He didn't. He didn't take you. You went. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like it's it's all. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know what else is really interesting is how many times law enforcement has interaction with serial killers before they get really into their serial killing. I know. He. I mean, I know. Like he was in jail in in and out of jail a lot. A lot. He committed murder three days before going to jail. Right. And then to see two different psychologists, and I, I mean, it's the 80s, whatever, you know, 70s, whatever. But he saw two of them and was able to fuck his way out of that. I know. Like, manipulate them. I know. I thought you would think this was so interesting, though, because I know sometimes, like, the psychi- like the reports can be kind of boring, but I was like, A, you're both saying completely fucking different things. And it's impossible. One of you are saying it's impossible for him to do this because lithium was working so well for him. The other person is saying this is really hard to treat. You're both giving him two different diagnoses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you say, and he were, should be paroled. And they both were wrong. And they were both were wrong. You can treat bipolar. Bipolar, there's... A, a lot, probably millions. I don't know the number off the top of my head, 
but a ton of people who have bipolar who lead completely normal functional lives who don't go and kill people and rape people and light shit on fire and whatever i mean it's a very very manageable diagnosis very manageable mm -hmm. antisocial is not you cannot treat people that have antisocial personality, antisocial tendencies that are above the skyline. You can't. You can't fix them. You cannot medicate them enough to make them stop. The only place that society is safe from somebody with tendencies like he has that were evident in the very beginning, that were like red flags, the only place to put him that will keep society safe is an institution. Yeah. Sorry. But that's the truth. Yeah. I just, the reason that too, I wanted to add that last article is I think it's really interesting because all of these people knew him. Yeah. He was the local baker. Every, yeah. everyone that worked this case knew him. Mm -hmm. And for like the district attorney to be like ill-mannered, very calm, very nice, Bob the baker. Mild-mannered. Yeah. Like Bob the, that's just Bob. Bob, Bob the, the baker. baker. Yeah. And he's like, and then I'm sitting here and this man transformed in front of my face. Right. And he's like, I didn't know that human beings could switch like that. Yeah, because it's not real. It's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely so, insane. So I think that account is just how he described it. It's just interesting to me. I know. I know. You know, though, I always say that like with relationships, whether that be friendships or you know, intimate relationships or whatever, you should never fully commit to somebody until you see them mad. I mean, like really mad until you go through something with them, until you see them in their raw, emotional, not filtered state, you should never, ever, ever put yourself in a whatever position with them ever because people can people. I mean, I'm sure that probably a hundred percent of people who are divorced will say this, right? Like they are a different person. Yeah. Until you go through some shit with people, you have no freaking idea who they are. Yeah. Oh, that is a wild story. Thanks for bringing that, Sam. That's it's crazy. So I know. And that's... Ah. Freaking Robert Hansen, man. Interesting. Fucking liar about everything. Yep. Fucking stealing trophies, big game trophies, and saying they're his, and fucking... Right. Nothing about this man's life was real. Nothing. None of it. Not Nothing. a single part of it. No. And obviously, like, I don't know his children's names. Like, that is very common with, like, serial killers. Yeah, like, and that's they, good. Yeah, because imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Right. That's like Darla said, I can't live here. My neighbors are like, you didn't do this. And but you know, how, how do you grow up in a community where you your husband murdered their families are still there? Yeah. And now your kids have to grow up? And I'm, and I'm super, super against lying to children, not being completely transparent with children. I'm super against that, even with even like Easter bunny tooth fairy stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. I'm very, very against lying to children, but I really do in this case, hope that she moved somewhere and just said, your dad died when I was pregnant with you or something and did not, don't, don't tell them the monster that their father was yeah. because they are half of him. Well, and I can't figure out, I don't know anything about Darla after. So Good. maybe she did because Good. I can't find her maiden name. I couldn't find, I just have Darla Hansen. So. Good. Good. So and I, hope so. I hope that, I hope that life was better for her and her. I hope that life was amazing for her children. I know. Because they deserve that. So sad. So sad. And all of his victims. I know. I know. And I hope we find the rest of the answers on 
the people that were Jane Doe's. Right. Alaska would be a hard place to do police work just because of the vast openness and and the elements and the weather and the wildlife yeah, and the six months of darkness and the all of it. It would be such a hard place to do police yeah. work. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sam. That was good. Yes. Thank you, guys. Stay safe.